Hey, good morning. Welcome to Redstone Elizabethan. My name is Adam. Um, we're really excited that you're here with us today. I'm excited to be here. And apparently I passed the test last week, so they let me come teach again this Sunday morning. Um, but Doug and Connie heard that I was preaching last week. And so Doug got a flight all the way to Finland um, to try to run. But in God's providence, the Lord allowed me to teach two weeks in a row. And look, Doug landed right back in the middle of the storm. So can't escape it, man. You're going to have to hear me teach. Uh, but with that said, I'm excited again for the opportunity to teach. Uh, this week, we're going to be back um, in the same chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll just get started in. And so like I said last week, started off the same way, thinking about just this kind of overview of this short book, this short letter that Peter wrote. Uh, we spent some time talking about these main themes that we see throughout the book. We've seen this theme of don't forget Peter's call to remember the gospel. Remember your position in Christ. If you remember our study in Ephesians, very similar message from Paul. Remember your position in Christ. Remember the gospel. Look at chapter 1. He talks a lot about through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. These, we had these things, these gifts. But then he also encourages us to don't stop growing. We see this list in chapter 1. of He talks about growing in godliness and virtue and self-control. and So don't stop growing. But where we landed last week and this week as well, and we'll see it a little bit more in chapter 3, but really looking at this warning, this don't be deceived, be on guard, um, be, be aware. So there's this warning, this don't be deceived, open your eyes, and you can kind of feel this, um, this speed, this urgency that Peter is writing with as he says, I want to stir you by way of reminder, knowing that he says, the Lord has revealed to me, my time is coming soon. He's, he's like, the Romans will kill me soon. And the Lord has revealed that to me. And this is the message I want to send out. And so you can get this urgency in his letter of just point by point, being quick and being direct. And there's this warning. Uh, and then we'll also look in the next chapter, chapter three, in the next few weeks, also talk about don't doubt his soon return. Because there was those who were saying, Christ won't come back. What does it matter? So Peter's encouraging about that particular teaching to be on guard and don't be deceived by that as well. Um, but I want to first read our passage, which it's, when I pop it up here and you see it in your worship guide, it's a lot. But the reason why is last week we looked specifically at, we read verses 1 through 9. We specifically taught and looked at verses 4 through 9. Looking and zo We zoomed in on the emphasis from those passages. And so this week we'll read verses 1 through 16. But really we're going to spend our time looking at verses 1 through 3 verses 10 through 16-ish. Now, sometimes I might reference 17 and 18. Sorry, Jerry, I know that's your passage next week. But, um, so it's a lot to read, but like I said, we've already covered a huge chunk of it last week, but it all comes together. And with that being said, let's jump into the passage. You're probably not going to be able to read it very well if you're in the back, um, but it is in your worship guide or maybe on your phone or, or open your Bible. But we're looking at 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 16. And it says, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And this is where we really landed last week, this culmination of this argument here in verses 4 through 8. He says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despise authority. And these verses we'll really look at today. Bold and willful, they do not tremble. Sorry, there it is. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved pain, I'm sorry, gain from wrongdoing. But was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So as we look at this huge passage, this long text, we spent our first few weeks looking at chapter 1. Observed how Peter presented the gospel, presented these truths, presented the true word and a true faith. And at the end of chapter 1, he talked about the true word that come from God, the Holy Spirit, and the prophets of old. And then he also says that I myself and the other apostles, we are eyewitnesses. So chapter 1 is this, this emphasis on what's true, this emphasis on what I've seen, this emphasis on what the prophets and what scripture points to, ultimately the gospel and this growing in godliness. But then we start chapter 2 and it's like the opposite side of the coin. Now there's this emphasis on what's false. Chapter 1 looks at what's true. Chapter 2, he says, but also be aware of what's false. What's the opposite of what we've seen in chapter 1? And so last week, we looked specifically at how he referenced these historical and these Old Testament passages to support his claim in verse 9 that God knows how to rescue the righteous and to punish the unjust. But specifically, he's referring to false teachers and those who follow their teachings. But now we'll zoom back out a little bit and plug that passage into the whole passage that it fits in. What we talked about last week lands in the middle of this chapter talking about the warning against false teachers. So this week we're going to look at uh, what is it we're looking at about these false teachers? What are they teaching? What's Peter talking about? And how do we be on guard against them? How do we protect ourselves? How did the church, how, what was he warning against then? And how does it apply today? So we'll look at what, teacher has to, what Peter has to say about false teachings, specifically what he says about their teachers, and also some conversation about what believers or how believers stand firm and be on guard against these teachings. So let me pray and we'll jump in. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you through your word. 
God, you have said that this is your word and you have given it to us. And um, I pray that our hearts would humbly come before you and that we would not be like the false teachers who do not tremble before God, but that we would tremble before our holy God, but also remember your grace and your love. That we think about the things we talked about last week. I pray that we would come prepared to learn and to grow in godliness and to be aware of false teachers. In your name I pray, amen. And so as we think about all of that kind of overview of the last few weeks and looking ahead, we specifically want to dive into this passage. And again, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, verses 10 through 16-ish. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And the first truth that we pull from this right here in verse 1 is number one. It's kind of obvious, but it's important to remember Peter is saying that false teachers are guaranteed. In other words, false teachers will come. He says in verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, referring to Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So the first truth, the first thing we see, the first claim that Peter makes in this passage is the guarantee of the presence and the coming of false teachers or false prophets. And he even makes this claim saying, look at the Old Testament. They were there because at the end of chapter one, he talks about the positive side, the true word that came through the prophets. But then he starts our chapter by saying, but. So he looks at the opposite and says, but just as there was false prophets who arose in among the people of Israel in the days when the word was coming through the true prophets, he says, now there will be false teachers who arise and who will come in opposition to the true teachers, to those who are following the apostles doctrine that he's talking about being an eyewitness of. And so it seems kind of obvious and maybe it's, it's kind of just doesn't really jump off the page at us. But I think it's important to realize the necessity that Peter felt to emphasize the guarantee that false teachers would come. It wasn't optional. It wasn't, hey, this might happen. So in case it happens, here's some just random suggestions. It's this will happen. False teachers will come. They have come. They will come. And they will continue to come until the end of time. And if Peter doesn't say it well enough, we can look at Jesus himself. He says in Matthew 24, he puts it this way. Jesus answered, talking with his disciples, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. These are strong words from Jesus. But we really want to emphasize, look at what he says here in verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will. It's not might. He says, many false prophets will. He says it in verse four, or for, sorry, verse five, many will come. Verse 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. But specifically look at verse 11 and verse five. 
And think about what Peter just says here in, in 2 Peter. He's echoing the same thing. Peter was there in the conversation when Jesus said this. So Peter is echoing what Jesus said himself. False prophets, or if you want to say false teachers, will come. They will arise. And Peter's saying they have come before in the Old Testament as well. I think it was easy as I was reading this to just quickly overlook this. It's right here at the beginning of verse 1. You read through it quick. But it's important for us to realize for the church in that day and for us in our day, false teachers will come. False teachers have come. False teachers are a reality. They are present now and they will be present until Christ returns in the, in the words of Jesus himself. It kind of reminds me of growing up. I love history and I majored in history and the story of the British come to, to fight against America. And it's the American Revolution. And this guy that we, you know, talk about a lot, especially as little kids, you know, Paul Revere. And he gets on his horse and he rides. Well, what's the importance of that story? The importance is he comes and he says, the British are coming. The British are coming. And he's letting the people know, be prepared. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's not optional. They are here. They are coming. And when you get that information, when you have the information of the reality, of the guarantee of the truth, of the presence of the enemy, of the presence of false teachers... You respond differently. But if Paul Revere rode through on his horse casually and said, okay, rumor has it, might be in a war coming up soon, but not really sure yet, get back with you on some more hard facts. That would really change the response of the people that he's trying to warn. But no, he rides in with urgency because he knows, he knows that it's true that false teachers, well, Paul Revere, it's not false teachers, the British are coming, but Peter is riding with this urgency False teachers will come. Peter's saying, I heard it from Jesus himself. I was there. False teachers will come. Jesus said they'll come. The Old Testament, we saw that they came then. They're coming now. This is important for us today. To know of the reality of false teachers allows us, one, as believers, to defend against temptations to be mad at God when false teachers come. Because God says in his word, I told you they would come. So when false teachers come, we... It, it, in a way, it encourages and it strengthens and it fights against the doubt that we'll have because you're like, God, we've got false teachers all around us. And God said, I know, I warned you about them. So God has, has given us his word to warn us about false teachers. It defends us against doubts because we're like, God took time to put in his word they would come. He's preparing us for this. For this. But number two, it also causes believers to live on guard and to walk with some awareness. So number one, it allows us to trust God because God's saying, I, I'm telling you, they're coming. Trust me. But also it allows us to live on guard. Just as the people, when Paul Revere rides through, they, they respond appropriately because it's true. We respond. The church then and we must respond now understanding the reality of false teachers. The reality of false teachers now. The reality of false teachers and therefore we can respond appropriately. So as we think about that foundational truth, we have to understand the reality. We look at the second truth that we pull from this passage. And this one, I didn't put one verse right here because in all reality, we're going to look at this entire passage pulling and just looking at different references. So at different points, I'm not going to have the whole verse up here, but you have it there in your worship guide. Um, and I'll reference the particular verses I'm talking about so you can see it there uh, in your Bible or in your worship guide that you have. But as we look at this entire passage... We see that you'll know false teachers by their fruit. And I'm quoting here from Matthew chapter 7. 
reading from Matthew again, again from the words of Jesus himself. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will Look at this. You will recognize them, the false prophets, false teachers. A lot of times we talk about recognizing people by their fruit when we're talking about the positive. We're talking about the fruit of believers. But right now, Jesus is saying, you'll also know false teachers by their fruit. They have fruit as well. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from fish, thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them, referring back to the false prophets, by their fruits. So Jesus, in his own word, is using the analogy. Now, this time, oftentimes we talk about the analogy of fruit referring to believers, referring to good fruit. He's also saying the analogy fits for false teachers as well, for they will have bad fruit. You will know them by their fruit. But as we think about that, Peter says that false teachers are secretive in verse 1. Jesus describes them as wolves in sheep's clothes. We must realize that false teachers can look, sound, and almost teach like true teachers. They use the same scriptures, say some of the same words, act some of the same ways. However, a key aspect of the passage in 2 Peter, and Jesus addressed this as well, is the focus given to the motives and fruits of false teachers. False teachers are sneaky. And because they try to mimic and look like the real thing, so simply analyzing their words alone is not always the best way to defend against them. Obviously, it's important. We'll talk about that. But one of the biggest parts in the war for truth is simply being able to accurately identify those that are teaching falsely. Here we understand that the first step in this identification is not to look at the content of their teaching, even though that's important. We'll talk about that. But the first step is we're to look at the fruit of the teachers and their teachings. True teachings that are of God will produce godly fruit. Think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Think about these qualities of believers that, he, that Peter talks about in chapter 1. But false teachers will produce bad fruit in their own lives, but also in their ministries and those that follow false teachers. So before we even talk about, well, what's the false teaching? What were they, what were they teaching then? What's happening there in Peter? What, Peter doesn't spend a ton of time telling us the exact false teachings, the content of the messages that were coming out. We have context. We understand some of those truths, and that's important. But he spends a lot of time talking about their fruit, a lot of time talking about their motives, a lot of time talking about what these false teachers produce. So one of the best ways to defend against false teachers and to be able to identify false teachers is not just look at their words, he's saying, but look at their fruit. What's, what's being produced of it? That's how you'll know if it's true or if it's false. And in education classes, yes, I graduated from ETSU with an education degree and I'm working construction, long story, we'll talk about it another time. But one of my favorite things we learned about is a great teaching tool is compare and contrast. Because if you're able to compare things, it allows you to learn about both of those things, about their similarities, but about their differences as well. And as the learner, you leave with a better understanding of both things. It's a great tool. As you compare something, you can tell what it's not, and that helps you understand more what it is. Well, Peter and Jesus use this same tactic. Peter, or I'm sorry, Jesus here in Matthew 7, he's comparing true fruit and bad fruit. 
True teachers and, and false teachers or false prophets. Well, Peter's doing the same thing. Look at chapter one. He talks about true faith. He talks about true fruit. He talks about the true word that come from the Holy Spirit. He talks about his true eyewitness account. He says all of that. And then in chapter two, now he uses the word false, false teachings, false prophets, false faith, all of these things. It's, he's comparing, contrasting, just like Jesus did here in chapter seven. So I thought it would be great strategy for us as learners of God's word to compare and contrast. It's a great tool to learn education when I was teaching about history, but it's a really good tool as we look at scripture because Jesus and Peter are doing this as well to help the disciples and the believers understand. If you can compare and contrast, look at the difference between the fruit of true teachers and the fruit of bad teachers or false teachers. So we'll look at true fruit versus false fruit. Comparing true fruit versus false fruit. And the first thing I see as we look at this passage is false faith. One of the first fruits of these bad teachers is false faith. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. This is here in 2 Peter. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Look at this. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So there's this emphasis on denying the master who bought them. There's this false faith. And you can spend a lot of time looking at commentaries and exactly what Peter is referring to here. Some people are like, are they losing their salvation? Did they have salvation? But at the end of the day, if you look closely, those who are claiming to be part of the church, because in verse two, it says the way of truth or the Christian doctrine will be blasphemed. Why? Because those who claim to be Christian are denying the most core truth of what Christianity is. They're denying Christ. And so they are claiming to be inside the church. That's why the way of truth is being blasphemed or tainted because those who are claiming to be in the church, but they're denying the master who bought them. So we don't know exactly what that specific denial looks like, but we see this false faith for true faith does not deny Jesus Christ. But this false faith was denying the master, denying Jesus. And so as we think about that, we look at the opposite side of false faith. We have true faith. Look at uh, chapter one, verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, his divine power has granted to us all these things. So through true knowledge of Jesus Christ, true fruit is produced, true faith. But yet, if we oppose that to what he talks about, these false teachers denying the master, it's false faith. Because a true faith does not turn from the most core part of what it means to be Christian. But these false teachers were denying the master, denying Christ, as opposed to what Peter talks about in chapter 1, through the knowledge of Christ. A true knowledge of Jesus leads to true faith. We have this false faith, this denying the master. But the list goes on. We look at this sensuality. And I could spend a lot of time, but I just put the references here. If you look at verse 2, Peter says, those who indulge in the lust of devouring passion. Verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 2 talked about sensuality. Verse 10 said, um, indulge in the lust of defiling passion. Um, verse 14, eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. And even down in verse 18, even though we didn't read it, sensual passions of the flesh. 
Throughout this passage, one of the reoccurring fruits of the false teachers is a lifestyle of sensuality, indulging the passion of the flesh. Several of these instances use language pertaining to sexual and physical sins, as well as hearts of impurity. One of the signs of a false teacher is a lifestyle of impurity, whether it be through sexual sin or pursuits of the flesh, this sensuality. So Peter is warning, and he's not even talking about what their words are coming out of their mouth. He's just saying, look at their fruit. Look at their lives. These false teachers, whatever they were teaching, these false teachers and those that were following them, they were denying the master. There's this aspect of a false faith. But now we look at there's this, there's this promoting of sensuality. And there seems to be a lot of emphasis on sexual sins and openness in these sins. And these passions of the flesh and these pursuits of these sensual things. And so he's saying, look at this. Look at the fruit of these false teachers. And that's referenced all throughout the passage in these different verses. But that stands in stark contrast to the fruit of believers or true fruit of true faith. Because he talks about in verse 5 in chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, he, Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, believers, with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So in this list of what true fruit and what true faith brings, he talks about virtue, self-control, godliness. These things stand in stark contrast as we compare stark contrast to the fruit of these false teachers and their followings. He says, look at the false teachers, look at their sensuality, look at their, their pervasive, overt, just celebration of these different sins of the flesh. He said, but that stands in Contrast to what I just told you was the fruit of believers, virtue, self-control, godliness. So we talked about true faith, false faith, sensuality versus self-control, pride. Look at this fruit of pride as we continue studying the text. Peter's another common theme, arrogance and pride. Verse 10, they despise authority. Verse 10, they are bold and willful. Verse 11, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. He said they don't even have the, they have the audacity to not even tremble before those that they should tremble before. They revel in their sins openly and unapologetically in verse 13. Their loud boast of folly, if you look down at verse 18, they're open with their sin. They walk in pride and arrogance, thinking that punishment will not fall upon them. But Peter is saying, look at this fruit of these false teachers. Be aware they're coming and here's their fruit. Here's their calling card. In contrast to the description of false teachers and their bad fruit, Peter gives us several qualities of the true teachers or the, uh, I'm sorry, the true believers versus these false teachers. And humility. I was thinking of Mark 9.35. Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If you think about Philippians 2, this passage talking about the humility of Christ, we see and understand and know that Jesus teaches a servant model. Those who would follow Jesus, those who would even be his teachers, he says, if anyone would be first, my leaders, my, if you'll be first in my kingdom, you must be the last of all and the servant of all. Just at the core of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus stands in opposition completely to these false teachers. For they walk in pride and arrogance. But Peter is saying, Jesus is saying, this stands in opposition to the humility that our Savior exemplified. Just go look at Jesus' life. 
No one can stand and walk in a life of pride and arrogance, in a ministry of pride and arrogance. No one can walk in that and also be walking in a true godly manner because it stands in just right and spits in the face of Jesus' words and his ministry himself. For to be like Christ is to be humble. To teach like Christ is to teach humility. That stands in opposition. Peter's saying, these false teachers, look at them. Look at their fruit, pride and arrogance. That's not the fruit of true believers. That's not the fruit of true teachers. That's how you'll know. Pride and arrogance versus humility. Greed versus generosity, verses 3, verses 14, and verses 15. He talks about those that are pursuing things for their own greed. False teachers exemplify greed and unrestrained desires. In their greed, verse 3, hearts trained in greed, verse 14. They follow Balaam, who pursued selfish gain for sin, verse 15. False teachers pursue their own cravings at any cost. These individuals that Peter's describing are not only teaching falsely, they're doing it in a manner that's rewarding their own pockets. Whatever they're teaching, they're doing it for their own gain. They're getting something out of it. Not only are their false teachings bad, that's bad enough, but they're using it to get something from it. They're receiving rewards for these things. At the cost of truth, at the cost of love, and the cost of the gospel, these people are saying anything that will fill their desires, even if it destroys them and those who follow them. And Peter says they will indeed receive their wages. They will get their reward for for pursuit of greed. And then, I don't have time today to talk about it, but there's this reference in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 2, where he talks about Balaam, this Old Testament prophet. And he talks about a donkey that talks. And so I would love to spend time talking about that. But if you look at Numbers 22 through 26, put that in your notes, go read that in your own time. Several chapters there in the book of Numbers, it tells the account of this prophet named Balaam. Long story short, just summarizing like Peter does here, God tells him, don't go give a word to these people. They want you to curse my people. And Balaam's like, okay, I won't. Well, then the people come back with lots of money. And then Balaam's like, oh, God, is it okay if I go now? Long story short, God's like, no, it's not okay, you greedy dude. And Peter is saying, if you look at the passage, Peter is saying he went to go do what they asked him to do because of his heart of selfish gain, what he wanted. And so what Peter is doing is saying, these false teachers, they're walking in the same way Balaam walked. They're doing the same thing. This isn't a new, you know, confounded idea. Peter's saying this has been true of false teachers and false prophets all the way back to the book of Numbers. Selfish gain and greed. What can I get out of this? So we see that in contrast to generosity or self-control or contentment. I couldn't think of a word, but whatever stands in opposition to greed. If we look at Galatians 5, through 23, look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do any of those things seem like they could walk in a heart of greed? They all stand in contrast to greed. And so he's saying the fruit of these false teachers is greed. Don't be overwhelmed. This is the last one. But if we look at the passage again, but now we think in verses 3, verses 14, verses 18, he takes time to emphasize that false teachers are concerned with themselves. First and foremost, their teachings gain them whatever they want at the cost of their followers, greed, but they're not concerned with the welfare or the spiritual health of those that they are leading. They exploit in verse three. They entice, verse 14, the weak and the unsteady, verses 18, 
False teachers prey upon the weak and those in desperate situations. It's true then and it's true now. He says they are enticing unsteady souls. They're enticing the weak. They're exploiting them. Based on their, their desperate situations, the false teachers are exploiting them. This is, stands in stark contrast to the selfless teachers that Jesus, Jesus was and his followers were. Again, that, that list from verses 5 through 7 in chapter 1, brotherly affection and love. Just those two right there. You can't love and exploit at the same time. You're one or the other. So false teachers are not walking in love and brotherly affection. And the desires and the gain of the greed of their own heart, they are exploiting those who are in desperate situations. And they are getting anything they can out of them who, would, who are in weak positions and are following their teachings. And then in Philippians, Paul put it this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You will know false teachers by their fruit. And you'll know true teachers by their fruit as well. Peter hasn't spent any time yet talking about the words that come out of false teachers' mouths. He says, look at the fruit of their lives. Look at the fruit of their ministries. Look at the fruit of those who follow them. False faith versus true faith. Sensuality, self-control, pride, greed, selfish. These are the false teachers. Peter spends a lot of time. Peter, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, spends a lot of time describing the fruit of false teachers. And the whole time I was like, just get to the point though. What are they teaching? That way I'll be prepared. Peter spends all of his time in this passage talking about the fruit of false teachers versus this fruit of true faith, true believers. And you can see that contrasted, compare and contrast right there in chapter one. So he gives us the chapter one, this list of qualities of believers, this true faith. He talks about this true knowledge of Jesus Christ. He talks about the fruit that comes from that. The end of chapter one, he talks about the true word coming from the prophets, coming from, from God, the Holy Spirit. But then in chapter two, we spent all this time. He says, look at their faith. They denied the master. Look at their greed. Look at their exploitation of those that are weak. He said, look at their fruit. That's how you stand firm and be aware. Number one, they're coming and they are present now. And number two, you'll know them by their fruit. Jesus said, you'll know false prophets by the fruit that they bear. So be on guard, be aware. What false teachings do we see and experience now? I had a conversation with somebody last week. They said, if we can't apply this passage to the day and age that we live in now, then we are really weak Bible students. This passage is extremely applicable to where we live. When we read this, we don't just read this and say false teachers will come. We read this in light and say false teachers have come. False teachers are present. I could spend a lot of time looking at all the false teachings that we are surrounded by. And remember, this is an emphasis on those who claim to be Christians. We're not talking about teachings out there that are stand and don't even try to claim some form of godliness. We're talking about those who claim to be in the church, those who claim to have a relationship with God, those who claim to believe in God. And their false teachings are prevalent. And Peter says they are destructive. They destroy those who teach them. They will destroy those who follow them. And ultimately, God will bring punishment on these teachings. We talked about that last week. But so what false teachings do we see and experience now? I want you to think about that. Like I said, I don't have a lot of time to spend looking at every single false teaching. But as we think about that list of the fruit of false teachers, 
We spent time thinking through the passage, comparing the fruit of false teachers, the fruit of the godly. It's easy to begin to realize these false teachers that Peter guarantees were not only a reality in his day, but they are very present in our day and our age as well. Any teaching attacking the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation, because that is true faith, is Jesus Christ alone. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way. And only through me do you have access to the Father, to God himself. Any teaching that promotes or follows any other way or adding other ways stands completely opposite to the words of Jesus Christ himself. Peter's saying that's false faith. True faith versus false faith. To have true faith is to believe in Jesus and to believe the words of Jesus himself. He said, I am the only way. And we see a large battle in our culture and even inside the church for this point right here. Is Jesus really the only way? That's pretty offensive. People are like, I don't like the sound of that. Recently, I had a friend, well, a friend of my brother who said, I, I can't follow this Christianity thing anymore. It's too prideful and arrogant to tell people they have to believe the way I believe. But thankfully, he said, now that I don't do this, then I don't have to be arrogant and pride to prideful to people anymore. Because I don't have to tell them that Jesus is the only way. I can just tell them maybe it's one of many ways. And if that's the case, then Jesus himself wasn't afraid to offend those who would stand opposite to this. Jesus himself said, I am the only way. That is a core doctrine that we must stand firm on. And we see the attack on that inside the church. This isn't outside. Of course there's that. Inside the church, we see these bending and this flexing. Well... What does it really mean? Jesus is the only way. Maybe, you know, other people kind of know of Jesus through their religion. Jesus said, you must know and place faith in me as the son of God alone to have salvation. False faith versus true faith. Any teaching downplaying sexual sins and promoting the priority of fleshly comfort over biblical truth. I spend a lot of time here. But inside the church, inside the church, whole denominations and movements and teachers promoting or downplaying certain sexual lifestyles and sins. And not just saying like, well, it's not really that big of a deal, but completely embracing whole movements that scripture has been teaching and the church has been teaching against for centuries. You see teachers standing and saying, that's not that big of a deal. God loves you. God loves you. But we just read last week, sin is a big deal. And only God alone, not me, not Jerry or Sam, but God alone has the authority to define what is sin and what is not sin. And scripture makes it very clear what is sin and what is not sin, pertaining specifically, as we talked a minute ago, about these fruits of sensuality and these sexual sins and these lifestyles versus true faith. So obviously that is an attack we see false teachings in our day today. A whole list of them. A host of teachers and movements that exemplify an unbridled lifestyle of pride and arrogance. Many of these movements are closely tied to the personality of their leaders. And these leaders are elevated to special status. We must be aware and be cautious of any movement that is surrounded by an individual. For in these movements we see typically an evidence of a lot of pride and arrogance. So we must be on guard against these things. We must realize that any teaching that plays upon the weakness of people 
or the desires of their flesh in order to benefit from these people is a teacher walking in a lifestyle of greed and an exploitation of people. We talked about greed and we talked about selfishness. A lot of times we term it health and wealth gospel. It is playing upon the weakness and the desires of people's heart in order to get gain. And this goes uh, starkly against what Peter warns against. You'll see it. You'll know false teachers by their fruit, greed, and exploitation of those in desperate situations. Any ministry you're teaching that produces these things, we must be aware of and on guard against. So as we think about all of these things, it leads me to my last question. In what ways can we be on guard against false teachers? So now what? Peter says false teachers will come. I'm saying that Peter was correct. False teachers have come. As we look at scripture, he says you identify them by their fruit. So what now? We see that we know false teachers are around us today. How do we respond? How do the believers then respond? Matthew 24, which we referenced earlier, I won't put it up, but we talked about it earlier. Jesus was talking about when the end comes and the false teachers come and the whole world's shaking. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stands firm. Remember, we talked about Ephesians. Stand firm in your position in Christ because of the gospel alone. We must cling to the cross and endure to the cross alone, to the gospel, to the teaching of the apostles that Peter's talking about. 1 John 2, 1 through 6, um, kind of quoting part of that. John says, by this we know that we are in him, in Christ. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way that Christ walked. So we walk in godliness. The fruit, remember we talked about this fruit. We stand on guard by our lives, our fruit, as we continue to submit to God and his word. 2 Peter, verses, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 11 he talks about growing in godliness to defend against false teachings. You continue to grow in the true thing allows you to be firmer and stronger against the weak things that, or the false things that come. So we endure by clinging to the cross. We grow in godliness. We walk in godliness. And then th- referencing last week, Peter says in chapter 2, verse 9, trust God. We talked about this last week. Trust God. Number one, God knows how to rescue the righteous. He knows how to rescue the godly, his people. We stand in a day and age of false teachers that I would argue that's just as bad, if not worse, than any we've seen in the history of the church. But Peter's encouragement still stands the same. We cling to the cross. We cling to the doctrines of the apostles. We cling to the gospel of salvation through Christ alone and grace through him alone. And we stand firm in that, not our own merits, but of who Jesus is. And then Peter says, trust God. He will rescue the godly and he will punish the unrighteous. We can take hope that there is a day coming when God will make all things right in his due time. Trust him. Trust him. He will rescue those that are his and he will deal with those that aren't. We must trust him. So we grow in godliness. We cling to the cross. We endure to the end. Not in our strength, but in who Christ is as we look to the gospel and we trust God. He is faithful to save. He has been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. Peter has warned us that false teachers are guaranteed. He has told us how to identify the fruit of false teachers. And he's promised that God will rescue his people as he punishes the false teachers and their unrighteousness. And all of these warnings 
come in light of chapter 1, in which Peter described the foundation of the gospel in Christ and the qualities that we are to grow in as believers. It's a summary of basically all of Peter up to this point, all of 2 Peter. Chapter 1 was true faith, true gospel, true obedience, true word. Chapter 2, he said, false teachers will come. This is how you spot false teachers. But then in verse 9, he says, and trust God in the middle of this storm. God can rescue and knows how to rescue and will rescue his people. And God will deal with those that are not his people. In the meantime, we cling to the cross. We trust in the gospel. We be aware, we be on guard, and we grow in godliness. So this week has obviously got a much different feel than last week did. It's not exciting. It's not super encouraging. Hey, false teachers are everywhere. Good luck. It's important as we think about the word of Peter, as he's protecting the church then, and as we look at these words protecting the church now, we must be aware. False teachers are here. False teachers will keep coming. But we stand firm in the truth of the gospel. We stand firm as we grow in godliness and opposition as we compare and contrast the fruit of true teachers versus the fruit of false teachers. So with all that being said, all that excitement, let me pray. This is heavy and it's, it's not exciting, but it's good and it's deep and it helps us as we grow. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Peter's obedience to write these words. And we ask God, I pray that you would take this word and put it in our hearts. Would you help us to be aware as you were, as Peter is coming and saying, they're coming. The false teachers are coming. Help us to be aware and on guard and to respond appropriately. Help us to grow in godliness and cling to the gospel and cling to the cross. Would you help us to stand in who you are, not in our own strength. Would you protect us as we trust that you are the God that saves and the God that judges in your timing. Be with us as we worship you through communion now. Jesus, it's in your name that I pray. Amen. And now Sam's going to come up and, and lead us in communion as we continue to worship uh, through this.